So uh, before we jump in, I wanted to uh, give you, I've got a lot to talk to you about today and then get into the Word, uh, but I wanted to give you a few dad jokes because I don't know if you've had any the past few weeks, and I know, I know you guys have been itching for them. Somebody gave me some uh, dad joke mint gum that if you open it up, there's dad jokes inside, so I want to read a couple of these. A few of them are worthy of us. <clears throat> What's brown and sticky? Brown and sticky. A stick. <laughs> That's as close as the worthy as these things get. Um, the rotation of earth really makes my day. So I decided, this is a joke, but I decided to take a cooking class, and it was kind of unique because it's a secret cooking society. So they text you at the last minute where, you're, where they're going to be and all of that. But I eventually got kicked out of it because I kept spilling the beans. <laughs> oh, bad, right? <laughs> last but not least, I saw this and thought it was funny. You know, Hormel Foods makes, uh, made their first batch of Spam in 1937, first batch of Spam in 1937. And with everyone out right now shopping and getting as much food as they can, uh, Hormel has announced that they're getting ready to cook their second batch. <laughs> Good thing I don't do this as a day job. Ah, thank you, Lord, he's very faithful. So a lot of things have been happening in the last few weeks, and I just want to comment on a few of them. Uh, one is, of course, the crazy war that has uh, taken place. Um, of course, Russia refers to it as a special military operation, and uh, there's a lot going on because I have both friends on in Russia and I have friends in the Ukraine, and I'm trying to follow both of them, and it's been a unique experience. I've been talking to some of the church leaders in Russia and uh, some of the Christians in the Ukraine, just chatting on uh, through Facebook and other means, uh, just all the perspectives and everything. But just to give you a little piece of what's going on inside of Russia so that you understand, the media is owned and operated by the government. And so the few free things, few free press that existed have all been shut down uh, very recently, and so they don't hear anything contrary. And so if they have no means of access to any kind of foreign press, they have no idea what truth is, and so they're, they're, they're just being told. So we had a, a friend of a friend, I know the guy, his name is Ilya, uh, I know him and knew him when I lived in Russia, but he was uh, protested. Azariah is so cute. Uh, he protested on the main square there in Ivanova. He was the only one there. It was a very bold thing to do for him to stand out. He's a few years younger than me. He'd stand out with a sign that said, no war, and it had a, a bomb on it with, a, with an X going through it. And he stood there, and he got detained, but then released by the police for protesting because it's illegal to protest the war. And so he did this, and there was a news article in the Ivanova newspaper in Russian about it, and I looked at it a few days ago, just reading it, wondering to see, make sure Ilya was okay, because I know this guy. 
And then I looked at it again yesterday, and it had been edited with a note saying, due to the recent change in Russian Federation, this article has been edited. And they removed the word war and just put asterisks in their own article about his protest. And they blurred out the word on his sign that said, no war. I mean, it's just the cra- I mean, it doesn't defies logic, but uh, that is the where they're where they are right now, and there's a lot of struggle because anyone within the the believers who have access to foreign press, they speak English, they you know they're looking at at foreign thought, Western thought, they're uh, against the war, and then anyone who is doesn't have access are probably for the war because they view the war as justified, because it was sold as justified, and they view the Ukrainians as uh, just uh, being needing, like the government of Ukraine being a Nazi-based nationalist uh, government that was hurting the Ukrainians and Russia is liberating them. That's what they're told, that's what they believe. And so you have the two ideas in the church, a little bit like we had during the election when, when we had Republicans and Democrats and both of them had their news sources, and both of them had their train of thought, and both of them weren't really willing to talk to the other one, and there was disagreement. And we had to really fight through and remind each other that first and foremost, we are followers of Jesus, and that's our first thing, and so we keep unity in that. So that is some of the difficulty they're having. I was talking to one of the pastors, and he's like, I don't know what to do. I've got two main leaders in the church. One is pro-Putin, one is pro-West, and they're both in utter disagreement with each other. There's no unity. I'm, I'm at a loss. You know, and just talking through the difficulty of that. In the Ukraine, I've got a bunch of different friends, probably about six that I follow, and uh, most of them are believers and are in the church, and they're posting videos of, uh, some of them was scary. One of, one of my friends posted a video. He's sitting in the utter darkness in Odessa, because Odessa was being shelled, and it still could fall at any moment. They haven't fully attacked, but they're heading toward attacking Odessa. And uh, he's sitting there in the dark in his house, and he, he just says, uh, this is the reality that I'm in right now. Uh, there's bombings. You can hear the sirens, you know, the going off in the background the entire time. You know, that scary, ominous sound. And he said, this is the reality that I'm in right now. And we don't know what to do. The only thing we can do is trust God. And it's a very sombering, you know, when I'm sitting on my couch drinking coffee, watching this thing on Facebook, realizing my good friend is there, you know, could be bombed at any moment. People are dying. It's just, uh, it, it's odd. And then I had uh, some more of the five or six that I know. Some have gone through some difficulty in life and aren't quite uh, fully in church anymore. There's just been a lot of difficulty in their life and um, maybe some offense toward church and God. And they're posting, like, recipes to make Molotov cocktails, which is unique. How do you, It's like six different recipes to make a Molotov cocktail. It was just unbelievable. Another one posted a picture of her. She's a, uh, with her AK-47, and, in, and she said, I qualified this morning to join, join the military. You know, just the, the reality that they're living in at the moment and then there's the videos of the young Russian guys uh, who are captured. They're like, I'm 18. Uh, they didn't tell us we were going to war. Uh, they just sent us. I don't want to kill anybody, and, and my friends have been killed. I just want to go home. And he said they're bawling, you know, understandably. 
my mom thinks I'm on a special mission down in a completely different place of Russia, you know, because they're not telling the parents at all. And that now they're a POW in uh, Ukraine. And so it's, it's a little bit of a mess, and there really is no easy solution right now. So we're, I encourage you just to pray for uh, wisdom for the leaders and uh, that God would intervene and bring righteousness in both nations, um, freedom for Ukraine and freedom for Russia. Uh, all of, I know if you watch the news here in the States, it's very much anti-Russia and uh, pro-Ukraine. And what you have to keep in mind is uh, anti-Putin, I, I agree with. Uh, he's been a problem since he came into power in 1999. He's former KGB agent, pretty ruthless. There's a lot of bad things about him. I don't think he's a nice guy. Uh, but Russia is made up of 140 million Russians. And very few of them are in any power. And so when we do all these sanctions, the people who really suffer are those everyday Russians, like uh, people who uh, are struggling to, their businesses are, are disintegrating, you know, or uh, my, my Bulgarian friend who's married to a Russian, and he's one of, the, one of the head's ministers there, Dima, he spoke here at our church back in, I think, 2014. Uh, he said, uh, I was home in Bulgaria when this happened with my family. We've come back to Russia because I need to be where the church is. I need to be there for the church. I can't just think of protection for my own family. He said, but when I went, uh, I got out as much cash as I could. And I've been going since I've arrived, I've been going to the ATM and taking out as much cash as I can because I don't know when this is going to get shut off. You know, Visa and MasterCard said they were shutting off all foreign cards. Well, he's a foreigner who has a Visa or MasterCard from Bulgaria that he uses. So his card is going to be at one point cut off for access in Russia. So he'll have no way to get funds. And so I said, what are you going to do, Dean? And he said, well, I guess I will have to take periodic trips to Bulgaria, God willing that there's a flight, you know, because right now airlines aren't flying. It's just a, it's a, it's a very difficult situation for a lot of people. And I think as believers, what we really need to be focusing on people and praying for peace and righteousness and justice uh, for these two nations, just to liberate them that they can have the freedom that God intended for them. So um, I'll leave that with that. Second, uh, this week, I don't know if you knew, just a couple days ago, we had a school shooting in Olathe. And uh, Vika, our daughter, goes to a completely different high school, but they had heard about it. We do have some people here in the body who have kids that go to that school. And it was just a stressful, I mean, uh, just a added level of just stress. So if you just be praying for those families that went through that, the, the, the principal, of course, at the SRO offer, and even this young kid who's uh, definitely desperately troubled and for some reason decided his best way out was to try to kill people. And so he's going to be facing uh, uh, judgment and uh, just praying for his family as well. And then all of the family of, of people who had kids and teachers, and just all the lives that affects in that school, and the people that get, you know, nervous. Uh, the teachers at the other high schools who's thinking, wow, what if that had happened at ours, and not, you know, just all that that takes place, if you keep that in your prayers. And lastly, of course, I've been gone for two weeks. Um, my dad, um, not Saturday, not yesterday, I guess it would be two weeks ago, uh, my sister had gone up to see my dad, and he had basically told her he didn't think he would last long. 
he was going downhill, and so she called all of us, and she said, you know, it's a lot worse than what we're imagining, and uh, I don't know how long he's saying things like he's going to be here less than three weeks. Uh, it ended up being three days. Uh, so we all flew in. Everybody got flights. I drove in from here. He, they live in Illinois, and uh, we, I was with him myself, and all of us kind of arrived at the same time. We were all there about 36 hours with him before he passed. And uh, the first few hours, uh, probably about the first six to ten hours, he was still conscious somewhat. I mean, he was mostly asleep, but he would uh, wake up and squeeze our hands if we talked to him. And, you know, he would acknowledge our presence and uh, it was a lot of squeezing of hands, which was, which was nice to be able to uh, feel dad squeeze your hand one more time. Because I spent a lot of hours just sitting there holding his hand, you know, while he was uh, asleep and unconscious. And then uh, the next day, and we set up with him all night, Sunday night, and then he died at 4 a.m. Sunday morning. And all of my siblings, uh, we, they all arrived back at midnight, and we sat there for the four hours together. And uh, we did this on Saturday, and we did this the last four hours of his life. We sat around him, and we quietly sang all the old hymns. Uh, my dad grew up in a, in a church that sang hymns, and then we had church at home where we sang country and western hymns, which are a complete different set of hymns. So we uh, sang all of those hymns that he liked, and um, then just told stories, and laughed, and um, just rejoiced in um, his and who he was and who he is today, and the fact that he's with mom. Uh, it was, again, unexpected, and... Um, Man, 11 months from mom's passing to dad's passing, we didn't think it would happen that fast, but you know, the, it's in the Lord's hands, and uh, dad's, dad's enjoying himself. So he, right before he had died, he had told my oldest sister, you know, I'm ready to go see Jesus and mom. I'm ready. You know, so he was almost 83. Um, at the funeral, everybody was talking about his dad jokes, so uh, the apple did not fall far from the tree. I'm just telling you that. Uh, dad told dad jokes all the time. And uh, something else that I found out that I did not know about is that dad had Parkinson's really bad. And so uh, toward the end, uh, it became very difficult to understand him. Uh, and so his communication level had gotten really, really low. I mean, it was super hard to understand him. And you're, if you felt bad because you're constantly saying, I'm sorry, dad, I didn't, could you, could you try again, you know? And, um, but I found out he was still making phone calls. And so people would come up to us and say, you know, your dad uh, called me just last week to, to ask how I was and to tell me that he was praying for me. Just random people, people from his life that he knew, he just called. And so even though he was confined to a nursing home, he used this to continue to do his outreach and to love on people. Dad just loved on people. I thought that was a cool heritage, you know, and... Uh, I can see where a little bit I get it of no matter where you are, find a way to love on people and to continue to outreach and share, share the gospel. Had a lot of people come up and tell me how dad had um, shared with them uh, faith and kindness and goodness and just really showed Jesus to them. I wrote a note down. I was trying to remember what it was. Oh, uh, so at his funeral, uh, probably the biggest heritage was uh, his seven kids and their spouses, his 20-something grandkids. I don't know how many. 20? 
and 12 great-grandkids. Everybody was there except for one grandson who had to work in Florida. Uh, couldn't get out of a, a work trip. But everybody else was there. So we took up most of the church. And um, they're all believers, except for just a couple that are struggling right now. But predominantly, 99.9% .9 of them were all passionate followers of Jesus. And it's just a cool heritage that as he left, he left, uh, you know, was able to leave well, which was just encouraging to see that. And that's, I thought, you know, you have these, these thoughts forward of, of what's it going to be like when I'm laying in that bed and my kids and grandkids are gathered around me. Will it be the same way? You know, what can I do to spur on faith and just to love them and just the thoughts that you have. So I uh, thank you for your prayers during this uh, time. It, it was a difficult night. It continues to be a little weird for me. And so I'm still adjusting um, to being, as I understood that generation was gone, I'm the, I'm the top generation. And so uh, there's nobody above me anymore. I'm the oldest generation in my family. Uh, you know, my parents are gone, grandparents are gone. It's just me and my siblings now. So and I was thinking about how a generation is about 40 years, and so you have about 40 years to pour out in reality to the people around you. You'll last longer. You'll last 80 years, but it's about 40 good years when you're pouring out and you're sharing your values. And am I going to use that this time effectively? Of course, I think I have at least 50, maybe 60 years more because I'm shooting for 110. So come on. Longevity, yes. So uh, thank you for your prayers, and I'd appreciate if you just continue to pray for me as I just work through um, just life and as we work through dad's estate and all, all the things with siblings. So uh, I'd appreciate that. So I do want to get into the Word. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. And let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here to come and reveal more of Jesus to us. We thank you, Father, for your work and all that you do, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. John, do you have that video ready? Did Ryan share that with you? You'll what? Okay. Well, we'll just, uh, I, I want to uh, read this verse first. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, let's begin with verse 8. It says, be sober-minded. So understand it's not a game and, and it's a serious thing. And, and so be awake and, 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 you know, be thoughtful about this. Be watchful. Uh, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So this is a pretty familiar verse that the devil goes around like a roaring lion. 
And there's a pretty popular uh, video that's on uh, YouTube right now. I got to watch it. It's a South African guy who lives uh, near where animals are. And he said, I just want to go into my kitchen and uh, make some coffee. Has have you, anybody seen this? And there's a lion outside his kitchen window. Oh, you got you got you to Google this just to hear the roar of the lion. So the female lion has come around his kitchen to the open kitchen door and is laying at the open kitchen door. And the male lion is through the chicken, it uh, just has chicken wire over his window, through the, chi- uh, the window on the other side, looking in the kitchen window at him because he's getting too close to the female lion, which is over here. And the male lion doesn't like it, and the male lion is over there growling, and it's got this low bass rattle, you know, that it just kind of puts shivers up your spine when you hear it. And uh, <clears throat> you able to do it, Ryan? So my kitchen is growling at me this morning. As you can see, you've got a beautiful male line looking through my kitchen window and I just need to get to that kettle to make some coffee that's all but the decision is should I go cold turkey this morning have no coffee what do you guys think (laughs) what a dilemma Mm-hmm. Let's watch a little bit more because I want to hear this lion. It is so... So this is how we woke up this morning. This is, this is important to the message, so it's part of We've the message, got, um, which is fun. A honeymoon couple in camp. And uh, the lioness, she's lying right here by the wall. Uh-huh. And um, we can't get even to make our coffee this morning. Very rude behavior. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. The lioness is right on the other side of this window right now. It does walk around and sits at his open door later on. That is what I wanted. Thanks, Ryan. So that is the roar of a lion. And it's uh, more intense than what you imagine it to be. <laughs> you get it? You kill it? I don't know if this. Uh, He's trying to kill wire. it. Come out! So when it says that Satan goes around like a roaring lion, that's what it's like. It's not, oh, sweet little cartoon lion. It's that type of thing staring you in the face saying, my desire is to completely discourage and to intimidate you, to keep you from following Jesus and believing what Jesus has for you. And so I'm going to make a lot of noise that is going to scare you and intimidate you and get you to stop believing what he has for you. That noise sits there and rattles. Does he really have the coffee for you? Are you going to get close enough? Maybe I'll jump through this window and eat you. 
this is what it says when Paul writes here that Satan goes around like a lion. But he talks about the faithfulness of Jesus. And so we can either focus on the roar of, of Satan or we can focus on the roar of Jesus. Because Jesus is also a lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, Revelations 5.5. And so when it says here in uh, verse chapter 10 that the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. You've been called to come into the fullness, everlasting, eternal fullness of what Jesus has for you. That begins here and transitions when this physical body stops, you continue on to walk into the fullness of what Jesus has for you. So the God of all grace, meaning all things are possible, is going to do some things. He himself will restore. That word restore means to perfect or mature. It's to put you exactly where you're supposed to be. So what happens is in the very beginning when you give your life to Jesus, when you say, Jesus, I've made a mess of this life. I don't know how to rule my life. I don't want to be my own God, my own Lord, my own King. I want to give myself to you. I want to give my future to you. I want to give my present and my past to you. I place it at your feet. Receive it, Lord Jesus. Thank you for forgiving my sins and for taking my life. When you do that, from that point on, you have been made perfect. Now, there are two tenses in the Greek, and you need to understand them. And they're throughout the New Testament. There is the point tense that it is done. And then there is the continuous, it is constantly being done at greater and greater amounts all of your life. So things are settled, and now it's being walked out. So this first word here, when he says in uh, 5.10 that he himself will restore you, that is letting you know it is a finished, done product. You can expect to see this increase in your life more and more and more because you have been translated into the family. It's not like you zip in and out of the family every day, every five minutes. You're, oh, now I'm back in the family of, of Satan. Nope. I'm back with Jesus. No, back with, it's not like that. It is I am in the family and he is beginning to transform me and sanctify me into his image. So there is the settled and then there is the continuous. So you see the first word there is the settled. It is perfect. It is restored. It is done. The next one is to confirm or to make stable. Because you know, you, you all know, I know you have all experienced this. No matter how long you've walked with Christ, there are areas of our life where we shake a little bit, where the roar causes us to doubt that it is a finished work. Even though we see and know that he says it's finished, this roar, brrr, I wish I had bass like that, does that deep bass that causes you to shake and wonder, is it truly stable? And Jesus works to cause everything to become stable in your life concerning your faith. And it is a lifetime pursuit that he does in you to stabilize you in the finished work of Jesus. So that's the second word, to make stable, to confirm. The third word there is to strengthen. So as he's setting up your identity in him, he is causing you to get stronger and stronger and stronger in your identity in him. Yeah. 
So it isn't just, okay, I'm healed. Now I'm beginning to walk in healing and begin. Now I'm getting bold in the fact that healing is for me. I am just forgiven. Not just forgiven, but I understand I'm forgiven by the blood of Jesus. I begin to walk in the forgiveness, begin to understand and get settled in, yeah, I truly am forgiven. Even when the devil tells me I'm condemned, I, I rest in the forgiveness that I know exists. Two, I begin to get bold and begin to tell others, hey, Jesus has forgiven me. You can be forgiven as well. I am strengthened in what I have learned to be stabilized in, in what I already know exists. So you see it's a process here that he walks us through. That's called maturing in Christ. The longer you serve him, the more you will become stabilized and become stronger in what he has stabilized you in what already exists in the final for you. And the fourth word there is to establish, which is that spreading of the foundation. It's a constant expanding to greater amounts of what, of what he has, and you're telling it more. Your, your influence is growing. You're sharing it. So uh, you're not only getting bolder, but you are branching out now into the kingdom of darkness and tearing down through the power of Jesus the works of the enemy. The foundation of the kingdom is expanding violently because you are bold in your strength, established and firm in your faith because you know what has been done. So when the lion comes, at first it rattles us, but we learn to run toward the roar because the roar of Jesus propels us forward. The roar of Jesus sends us, and we run with the roar of Jesus at the roar of Satan. I don't know if you've ever heard of a man named uh, Boniface. I assume I'm uh, saying his name correctly, B-O-N-I-F-A-C-E. He was born in 723. He was a missionary to the Germanic tribes who were pagans. I love this story, and I wish Vika was in here because it's uh, Vika likes Marvel movies, and I think probably most of our youth like Marvel movies. And this was Boniface facing the god Thor and overcoming. Thor was defeated by Boniface. They don't tell you the story in the Marvel, you know. So in Germany, in, in the 700s, they worshiped trees, and the, god, the, the main god was Thor, of course, that they had brought down from the, um, Sweden and Norway and Finland, brought it down and became a part of their area. And so there was, uh, outside of the town of Mount Gutenberg, there was this mountain that had this grove of trees on top of it. In the middle of this was this humongous oak tree called the Oak of Thor. Sounds kind of cool, doesn't it? The Oak of Thor. And uh, they, pilgrims would go from miles around and they would worship this uh, tree because it, it was the representation of the god of thunder uh, who they needed to sacrifice for. There was a lot of bad things that happened around this tree. Uh, and Boniface knew that it was bondage and that it was false because Boniface knew what had happened to him. He had spent time getting established in his faith. He had grown in strength, and he had begun to spread out and establish greater boundaries 
His faith was causing him to run against the roars of, the, of Satan uh, from the roar of Jesus. So Boniface, uh, he's so funny. So there was this great ceremony that was scheduled to take place in the sacred grove. And he, Boniface was staying there and people had come from all over, uh, all over to the tree. And Boniface had spread the word that during this ceremony he was going to challenge Thor. Kind of an Elijah versus Baal thing. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to show you. And so during the ceremony, he stood up and defiantly started with an axe, hacking down the tree. And he's like, if Thor is alive, may he strike me dead with lightning. Because Thor is the god of, of thunder and lightning. And what happened was the tree fell over, revealing a completely rotten core inside of it. It was an old oak, and he chopped it down. And the cult and worshipers of Thor realized the deception and turned to God in mass, and they were all baptized. And it became the change where the entire Germanic tribes began to convert and become Christians, and Christianity spread through the Germanic tribes because of his action <clears throat> to run to the roar. And so he said... I yearn to go forth where the dangers are, not because I particularly, particularly enjoy those dangers, because, but because I know it is there that the battle rages for the souls of men. God set me <clears throat> before the front lines. Let me not end my days in comfort and complacency. Comfort and complacency is where we uh, just decide we're not going to continue to grow in our faith. We're just happy where we are. We do the church thing. We do the faith thing. And we don't allow more of Jesus in our life. So I don't want that to happen. Let us stand fast in what is right and prepare our souls for trial. Because it takes boldness and it takes possible social outcastedness. <clears throat> anyway. To take that stand in the society to say, no, we're not going to worship this tree. I'm going to show you this tree is nothing. So he had to take a stand that cost him. Let us neither be dogs that do not bark, nor silent onlookers, nor paid servants who run away before the wolf. Instead, where the battle rages, let us find ourselves. Run toward the roar of the lion. Run toward the roar of battle. That is where Christ's most glorious victories shall be won. Challenging words for us, but good reminders of who we are in Christ and how we can change. Now, not all of us are called to chop down trees of Thor. For some of us, it is standing up against generational ideas in our family. For some of us, it is doing business with integrity and being an integral part of, the, of commerce. For some of us, it is in political discourse and being a, a, a wise, uh, honest uh, person of virtue who speaks the truth in love, but speaks the truth in the social discourse. So there's wide range. It's where the Lord has you Get the fire behind you, the roar behind you from Jesus, and run toward the roar of Satan. Don't let him intimidate you. See, a clue to find your purpose in life 
is where the roar is coming towards you. It's a clue. It's not the complete guide because the guide, you should know your purpose from Jesus, not from your not from the fight, because Satan will fight you from all areas just to confuse you. You've got to know what Jesus has told you to do so you pick the right battles. But you can get a clue of where the fight's coming from to kind of point you in the direction as you're seeking the Lord. Where's the enemy? Because Satan will attack your direction, he'll attack your purpose, he'll attack your mission, he'll attack your values. Our identity comes from Jesus. When we understand the roar of Jesus behind us and in us, then we can face the roar of Satan. So first and foremost, guys, we have to see Jesus. We don't glorify and talk about how bad the devil is, how bad the roar is. We have to see Jesus first and foremost. Because that is the solution. And that means getting a revelation. And you can look in your life and you can, if you sit down and ask, okay, what has Jesus revealed to me about himself? And probably each of us are different. We've seen different sides of Jesus because of our different experiences and what has happened to us. Jesus has revealed himself. To some, Jesus is the healer, really, really predominantly I mean, I know Jesus is my healer, but I didn't live uh, six years of my life in a, in a bed and, and get healed and walked out of a bed, you know. To that person, Jesus is the healer is very predominant. Uh, for some, Jesus is the comforter. For some, Jesus is the provider. And you can just go through all the facets of God, and he has revealed to each of us strongly something uh, unique about his character that he wants to exemplify and to radiate through us. So that when he roars, that roar passes directly through us and we roar the same roar. Jesus is. I wish I could do that bass. You know. <clears throat> but I'm too much of a tenor. <clears throat> So first of all, we have to see Jesus. We've got to get that revelation. The second thing is that we need to recognize the work of Jesus in our own lives. And that's wisdom. Because you can have revelation, but if it's never applied to your life, then all it is is knowledge. Revelation that's applied to your life becomes wisdom. Because we can teach all day, right, Dennis? We can teach all day about this or about that. But if it doesn't get down from the revelation into your heart as wisdom, then it doesn't really change your life. It's just, yeah, Jesus is our healer. <coughs> you know, and there's no change, no effect. Yeah, Jesus provides. Jesus is my provider. Have you tithed? No, I don't know if I trust Jesus enough to tithe. You know, or all the other things all the other areas of our life. So first, we see Jesus, get a revelation. Second, we recognize him and his work in our lives. Jot him down. Okay, think about what has he taught me and how has it affected my life? How have I changed? What do I talk about? What do I preach about? Preach I'm using not as, as me preaching, but what, what do you talk about? What do you share about? What do you evangelize about in your own lives? What's important to you that you talk about? A lot. 
What is that wisdom? Third is we then run, walk, or fly with confidence, and that's the experience. So we get this revelation, it becomes wisdom in our life, and we begin to walk it out. And we walk it out, and as we do, we run into that roaring lion of Satan in different ways that tries to discourage us or intimidate us from walking in the full revelation practically in the wisdom that he has for our life. He tries to get us to back down and quit. I mean, that's just, that's just what Satan does. And so uh, this part of it is understanding uh, how he does that and gaining the experience to fight in all of these situations and learning how not to give in to Satan and to get the experience. And that become, creates the boldness to where you can say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know why it's money. Money's just an easy one for me. But, oh, so you're struggling with finances right now? Let me tell you, I've had God meet the answer like at 11.59 and 59 seconds. Uh, somebody walk in and hand me money. You know, uh, we wrote a story, Heather, Heather wrote the story about where uh, I, I was living in, in Russia and I did not have the money to go to, um, to Moscow to get to the ATM to get my monthly support to pay my bills. So I needed money to get my money. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was a poor missionary. Yeah. This was before I was married. And uh, I got rich at that point. <laughs> and so... <laughs> what is it? Uh, so... So I was in church and I was just praying, oh Lord, you know, you know, Lord, uh, you promised me and I've been, I've been trustful not to tell anyone. I'm just telling you, I need $20 for the train tickets to get to Moscow. You know it, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And so then, and this is the 11th hour, I'm supposed to leave like the next day, you know, that the next evening. So Monday evening, I'm supposed to be on the train to Moscow. It's, this is Sunday morning, I'm walking in the foyer. In walks this pastor from the other town, the other missionary who lived in a completely different town, came walking up to me and he said, this is kind of a pain, Matt, but I could not, I had to drive over this morning and give this to you because the Lord will not give me peace about this. And he handed me an envelope and walked past me. I opened up the envelope, $20. And I'm like having a revival service in the foyer. I mean, glory clouds, screaming, I mean, whatever. And as, as I'm walking by the open doors of the sanctuary, because I was uh, kind of doing what Mary does a lot, of just sitting and monitoring the foyer, and the Lord speaks to me, because they're doing the offering at that time, and the Lord speaks to me, I want you to give that $20 in the offering. And I'm like, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I really did, you know. And then, of course, I knew it was the Lord, and I was like, Lord, this scares me. You know, and he just reassured me, if I give it to you once, am I not able to give it to you a second time? I need to prove to you so that you are, can get bold in your experience that God is able to provide. Because later on, it's not going to be $20. Later on, it's going to be thousands of dollars or whatever, you know, to believe for. So uh, I went down, dropped it in, and as soon as I dropped it in, I turned around and said, okay, Lord, you know I need 20 bucks. And so uh, Monday morning comes, and it's our weekly prayer meeting in the office, and we all gather early in the morning in the office, and we have our prayer time that morning. And I look over in one of the desks, and on a desk is sitting an envelope with my name on it. And I was like, what's that? And they said, well, Peter, who was a missionary, 
with us at that time, and he had gone back to the States a month or so before, said, Peter left that and told me to give that to you, and I just totally forgot, and so I have it for you now to make sure to give it to you. I open up the envelope, and there's $40 in it. And it's just $40. I mean, to us right now, the majority of us, I think $40 is like, it's not a ton of money, you know? Right, it's not even a full tank of gas right now. Come on. Woo! Right. But it showed to me and it firmed and established me in my experience. I had the revelation that Jesus can provide for me. I began to get the wisdom of how to walk it out. And then I had experiences of facing trials and tribulations as I walked out the revelation. And each of those experiences caused me to become bolder and bolder and bolder in my declaration of Jesus is able. And so when people come and they say, you know, I struggle with trusting the Lord with finances, I can boldly say, I've been there, I understand, but Jesus is able. You lose your job, you know what? You just lost a job. You didn't lose your provider because that job came from Jesus. So what job does he have for you now? It changed the way I look at stuff. So as we get the revelation, we get wisdom, we get experience, and the last one is we begin in confidence to run toward the roar. And that is when Satan tries to come up and say, there's not enough. There isn't enough. It's not going to happen this time. Instead of backing away, you go, yeah, Jesus, what? Oh, yeah, you are provided. You know what? How dare you say that about it? And you walk toward it. You run toward the roar saying, you will not dictate who Jesus is in my life. You will not dictate my identity in Christ Jesus. You will not tell me the identity of Jesus. You will not accuse the Father. You will not accuse my brothers and sisters. You will not accuse me. You run toward the roar. I know I've told you before in our, in our past building, you remember the big circle that would go all the way around the sanctuary? There was a hallway that went all the way around the sanctuary. And uh, oftentimes I would be in the building by myself and all the lights would be off. And I'd have to go back and check those back doors to make sure they were shut because oftentimes they just wouldn't be shut. And I didn't want to get a call from the, from the place uh, at 2 a.m. in the morning, hey, you're, we found your door open because that's a pain. <clears throat> And so I'd have to walk down, and I just, why turn on the lights? I'm just going to walk back there. And as I head da- headed down those back stairways, or the, that back thing, always this fear would just hit me. I mean, terrifying fear. You don't know what's back there. And at first it shook me a little bit, and then I began to realize, you know what? I'm not going to let this thing dictate what I need to do. And so when it would hit me, man, I would like get down like a football, and I would literally, I am moving. Everything within me wanted to run the other way because of the fear. And, you know, forcing myself in the name of Jesus. And it built up. Guys, we've got to run toward the roars of the enemy in our lives and not allow him, even though he's upset and outside our kitchen window, to mess with our day. I'm making my coffee, I'm going to enjoy my breakfast and my meditation time with the Lord, and you're not going to dictate who or what or anything about me. I listen to Jesus and I listen to his roar, his roar is considerably louder. 
So spend the time to think through and meditate with the Lord on the revelations he's given you. Grow in your wisdom. Let him show you from the word. Grow in your experience. You may be going through a tough time right now, but don't give up. Press in and say, Jesus, give me the wisdom for this situation. And then as you do that, continue to fight. David gave an example in 1 Samuel, and you can read this later. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 24 through 37. And this is when David fought Goliath. And David uh, begins to, you know, he comes into the, the camp and he goes, what, who's this guy? And everybody's like, oh, he's Goliath. He's going to kill us. You know, we're defeated. And David's like, why are you letting him stand against God? And it sounds as if David is a cocky little 15-year-old, you know, who's trying to make a show of himself. And that's what his brother even says to him. I know the evil of your heart. You're just trying to, you know, you just have these bad motivations. But actually it wasn't. It was because David, when he... It, I'm getting ahead of myself. But if you, uh, if you continue the word of what David was saying, spread to Saul. And the king had David come up. And Saul said, tell me. And David says this stuff. And Saul says, hey, you're just a kid. And David says, wait, 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 wait. When I was a shepherd, if a lion came and grabbed a lamb from my flock, I chased the lion down and I hit it and beat it until it let go of the lion. And I killed the lion. If a she-bear came and did it, I would grab the bear by the fur and beat it till it let go of the lamb. So this ungodly Philistine ain't nothing because he's standing against God. And if you take those verses that I gave you, 1 Samuel 17, 24 through 37, and you then read Psalms 23, you will see the revelation that David had concerning God. God is my shepherd. And if God says it, I can trust him. So if a lion comes in and tries to intimidate me, I'm going after the lion. If a bear comes in and tries to intimidate me, I'm going after the bear. And if you do that long enough in your life, when the, you see the Goliath, it's a natural thing. It's not something you have to seek out and find. It will find you because it'll be like, well, I don't have to put up with that because that's just like those lions. It may be bigger, but it's the same thing. And I know God's able to do it. And so I'm standing against the Goliath. And so David defeats Goliath. God defends and overcomes. God protects the flocks, fights the lion and the bear, and then Goliath is no match for God. So are there Goliaths in your life around you? Is there a Goliath in society? Is there a Goliath in your family? Is there a Goliath around you that you are beginning to see? Are you fighting the lions and the bears? Are you dealing with the smaller stuff to grow into the head-on collision with Goliath? Yeah. Do you know God in your finances? Do you know God in your relationships? Do you know God in your public life? Do you know God in your private life? These are all areas where, and there's probably a lot more, where we can get revelation, then gain wisdom, then gain experience, and then get... Rawr. Rawr. So I, I encourage you today again. What is the revelation that you see? Do you see the work in his life? 
Are you walking it out? And are you ready to run? Because some of you have Goliaths that are, that are ready for you to pick off. Some of you have lions to pick off. Some of you have bears to pick off. Nobody's taking vacation right now. We are going after the roar, following the roar of Jesus. Let me pray over you this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your roar is loud and that you are big, Lord Jesus. You are lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Thank you, Lord, for it. We trust in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you're on our side because you have redeemed us by your precious blood. You bought us. We are yours. Thank you, Jesus, for it, for your love, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would reveal to us even more about yourself and remind us of what you've already taught us about yourself. Show us, Lord, the revelation you've given us. Remind us of the wisdom that you've given us. Give us more wisdom. Lord, remind us where you've walked us into experience to make us bold, Lord, and give us more experiences. <laughs> Help us, Father, <laughs> to grow in our faith and trust in you, our confidence in you. And Lord, may we defeat every lion, every bear, every Goliath that stands against who you are, Lord Jesus, because our eyes are on you. Bless this body in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I just want to say something really quick. As you can hear, you know, it's been a little bit of a rough couple weeks, and um, a couple days ago, I was just really discouraged, and I said, God, I just, I don't know how to pray anymore, and I just really need assurance and from you, um, direction from you, wisdom from you, and um, through a few different ways, Matt had a dream, I had a dream, but one of the things in it was the lion of the tribe of Judah, and so um, I was like, okay, um, lion of the tribe of, of Judah, that is who you are, Jesus Judah means praise. I'm going to praise you. So the last couple days, I've been just singing praise, exalting Jesus over my situation. And I can't tell you, I, I, want, to, I want to share this with you to encourage you. Because if you get to that point where you're just like, I don't know what else to do. There is nothing else I can do. Um, only trust in Jesus. And sometimes I don't even know what to pray. We can always praise. It does two things. It gets me and you in the right um, mindset. Your eyes are off the situation and your eyes are on Jesus. It builds up your faith and it exalts Jesus, King Jesus, over your situation. It roars at that lion back and it lets God do what he does best. So I don't know if Nate is still here. Oh, there you are. <laughs> Thank you. Could we sing one of our songs that we sang this morning? Um, you can holla, give, holla, raise a hallelujah, whatever. Um, as we were singing all of those songs this morning, God was just speaking to me again, reassuring me again. You praise, girl. You praise, daughter. You praise. You praise me. You exalt me as all hail King Jesus. I am King Jesus. I am King Jesus. I am Lion of the tribe of Judah. I am King over this situation. You can raise your hallelujah in the middle of the storm louder and louder till we roar back. Right? Right? So let's go. Let's do it. Do you want to hail King Jesus or do you want to what? raise a hallelujah? <laughs> Raise a hallelujah. Amen. Awesome. It's funny, actually, as you were saying that, I was like, huh, it's kind of funny based on the passages that I chose because I don't think we, 
We didn't uh, confer at all. There was no um, colluding here. So, <laughs> yeah, I was like, huh, that's kind of that's funny, but I'll take it. Because <laughs> um, I always pray about which songs I choose. But, yeah, all right, amen. Um, this is not that song. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, it's funny. I was just thinking about that verse. Um, like the first verse is kind of what you're saying. And it's funny because the Lord has actually been talking to me about um, a lion. Um, the other day, I, so I have this um, wooden eagle statue that I had in my room for a long time that kind of just represented me like, you know, pr prophetic stuff. And the Lord told me to give it to one of my friends. So I, um, I also have this like lion statue. So I ended up taking that out and putting that out instead. And so lately the Lord's just been kind of talking about that. Um, I think it was yesterday I was wa watching, the Lord told me to watch the Chronicles of Narnia and he's like, just watch the sections with the lion. <laughs> I was like, that's funny. So I'm like, wow, the Lord's really speaking something about boldness. I think that's coming and, and joy that's coming, you know? Um, yeah, so let's sing this. Hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a Storm, loud. 
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> 